It is now December 28th, 2014. This ball of dirt is hurling around the sun at a frightening pace. And we are about to enter into the year 2015. I don't know about you, but somewhere around 1980, I thought the year 2000, I mean, I remember singing Prince's song about 1999, and now that's, that's an oldie. <laughs> so things, things have changed. My goodness. What a special time we live in. I'm going to tell you real quickly what has prompted this message so that hopefully you will appreciate it like I do. You can turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of Genesis. It seemed like a good place to start. And while you're turning there, I neither want to glorify the cartel in Mexico, nor do I want to inspire fear in anyone because I believe our king is bigger than all. I can truthfully stand before you today and say, I have absolutely no fear of losing my life because I have already lost it. I could preach for the next 10 hours, and many of you have heard me do it for many hours, about losing your life. Because it is the mandate for anyone who would follow Christ. It is not possible to follow Him without first denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. If there is no self-denial, if there is no crucifixion of you, then you are not yet following Christ. But I'm not going to preach about that today. We turned down the dusty road, relaxed, having seen almost no military, almost no police. I began telling the group that this was as quiet as I have seen Mexico in a decade. And then more than 12 armed men showed up. Do you know what the devil does not know what to do with? I mean, do you know what is just confounding to the devil? When you don't love your life so much as to shrink back from death. You know what changes everything? When a man can point a gun or get all of his friends to point guns. And you have absolutely no fear of the outcome. Because you see this moment as a gift, and every moment thereafter as precious. When you can look somebody in the eye and say, if you pull that trigger, I will be in the presence of the one that I love, but you will damn yourself to hell. It's an amazing thing. Men with guns actually begin to back up from you. And when they stand there and tell you that they must have your IDs, so that they can hold them ransom and keep you in the country. And you say, in nombre de Jesus, oración. You find men with guns doing this. You have no reason to be scared of anything. Not just now, ever. Your life belongs to the Lord if you've given it to Him. And if you have not given it to Him, then you have every reason to be terrified. It's the beginning of wisdom. In the name of Jesus, I pray before this message is over, you will learn to see time as precious as I do. If you're taking notes today, this message will be called Time. By the way, we're in the year 5,775 on the Hebrew calendar. It's amazing the lengths to which the world has gone to obscure the Hebrew calendar. Our holiday season, holiday is an English way to say holy day. It was changed in the year 325 to obscure you from seeing the way God has sanctified time. In other words, we made sure that a holiday that men came to know as Easter did not occur at the same time as Passover. We worked very hard in our ancient history to make sure that men could not see the biblical correlation to the days that we call high days or holy days. And consequently, many of them have no biblical correlation. And yet God has set aside days and called them holy. In Genesis 1, put verse 14 on the screen for me. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons 
and days and years. Let them serve as signs to mark what? Seasons, days, and years. More than anything else, Judaism is a religion that sanctifies time. From the moment that light and darkness began to not coexist, when light drove out darkness and there was a separation, a clock began. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it. In Genesis 3, we find man in a perfect garden setting, right? What do you think life was like before man sinned? It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? Only two people on the whole planet. Boy, if you think your neighbors are your problem. When there are only two people on the whole planet. You know what happened. If you're pretty sure that what's happening in your life is everyone else's fault. You just remember that this has been a family problem all the way back to Adam and Eve when there were only two people on the planet. But what was it like before they sinned? I would say that's pretty good, wouldn't you? How long were they there? No one knows. How good was it? Oh, it's pretty amazing. For argument's sake, why don't we just set that poinsettia there? I don't like plants in the church. I never have. I'd put deer heads in here, but when we start one in Port Lavaca, where are you at, Treasters? We'll do that. We'll put deer heads in it. For a moment, because you're in the Western world, look at the poinsettia on the left. Let's imagine that this is the tree that is in the garden. I didn't plan for it to be red for redemption, but sometimes God's just good to us like that. If this were a timeline and you were standing staring at that tree and from the moment they sinned, they began to die because that's what God said. What was going on to the left of that tree? Just life. And how much of it there was? I don't know. How old was Adam when he sinned? I don't, I don't know. How old was Eve when she sinned? I, I don't know. You could call this area to the left of the poinsettia, if you will, Alpha Eternity. It went on for as long. When did God create the heavens? We can argue about the earth forever if you want to. But when did He create the heavens? In fact, when did God spring into being? He has no beginning. So how far could you go to the left of that first tree? Now let's walk to the other side of the stage. In the book of Revelation, we find again a garden setting. We find again a river of life. We find again God dwelling with man in the garden. What's the old hymn song, hymn say? Amazing grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. How far to the right of that tree on the timeline will it go? I have no idea. In fact, could you say that to the left of the first tree in Alpha Eternity and to the right of the last tree in Omega Eternity, time is pretty irrelevant, is it not? Why did God mark the times and seasons between these two trees? And how did He mark them? He made a separation between light and darkness and it would serve as a sign. He put them in the heavenlies to mark seasons, to mark years. The time between these two trees is the time of redemption. And when man didn't need to be redeemed, time was irrelevant. When man is redeemed, time is irrelevant. Every moment on your clock between these two trees extraordinarily precious. Oh, you should say amen for that. How about Genesis 2? Turn with me to Genesis 2, starting in verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. By the time God had reached seven, 
He called the day holy. This begins to set a pattern that God's people throughout our time on this planet have counted. They don't just count days. They count weeks. They don't just count weeks. They count months. They don't just count months. They count years. And they don't just count years. They count weeks of years. Do you know how many feasts there are in Israel? Turn with me to Leviticus 23. While you were there, you can skim them so that you can have an open book test. In Leviticus 23... Look at verse 3. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. Something about the seven was sacred. Every time you counted, the seventh was holy to God. Look at verse 15 of the same chapter. Say there when you're there. Am I going too fast for you? From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf, Of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. What are we counting now? Weeks. We first count to seven days. Then we count to seven weeks. Look at verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month. Now we're counting months. Do you see a pattern in it? The seventh day was important. The seventh week was important. The seventh month, important. Look at the 25th chapter. How about the fourth verse of chapter 25? Are you there? But in the seventh year, the land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. We've counted days. We've counted weeks. We've counted months. And now, in the seventh year, it's holy. Look at verses 8 and 10. Count off seven Sabbaths of years. Seven times seven years. So that the seven Sabbaths of years amount to a period of 49 years. Can you say God is obsessed with seven? Can you say He's a pretty good timekeeper? Why? Why? At this tree in the garden, for alpha eternity, how important was time? So almost no mention of it. Things like from everlasting to everlasting, is said. After the last tree in the garden in the book of Revelation, how long does it go on? No idea. Why? God wanted to mark off the time that you would have between these two trees. He wanted you to count every day of redemption as a precious day. Say, Pastor, I'm already saved. How much more precious is your time if you're on the Lord's clock? Say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I don't know what you're talking about. How much more precious is every day that you have ignored What is a finite time period of salvation? I want to tell you, God is measuring time. He taught His people to measure time. Think of some of the things that are said about time. How many of you would like to save some time? Can you show me how to do it? I've never seen anybody actually save time. As far as I can tell, it's not at all in your control or in mine. How about, I'd like some free time. Have you ever been able to free up any time? Time is moving. The celestial bodies are revolving. What God set in motion is happening whether you are happening with it or not happening with it. How about this one? Hey man, let's make some time. I laid down... In a makeshift bunk bed in Mexico. And I was listening to my wife whimper a little bit. She put her tough face on all day. Don't let them see you sweat. 
But she just watched armed men threaten her husband. And she watched her husband call down the fire of God upon armed men. If today was the last day with the one that you love, how precious would that day be? See, God didn't just mark off these seasons as a time of redemption. He marked them off so that we would have a way of measuring our lives. You know, a day is not very precious if you have an unlimited number of them. But if they become rare or scarce, how precious is your time? Have you ever heard the expression, don't lose any time? I understand this one. When you say don't lose any time, what you mean is utilize it well. But the truth is you can't lose time. It's happening with you or without you, isn't it? Can somebody in here will this earth to stop spinning for a minute for me? Is there a person in here that can just decide they don't want to lose the next few minutes, so stop them from happening? Time is happening whether you want it to happen or not. I know a lot of men that are still living in a past time. But that has not stopped time from moving forward. It's just robbed everybody else of their presence while they relive their glory years. By the way, have you ever listened to people relive glory years and you were there and they were not as glorious as the men are saying? I have noticed that every armchair quarterback is a legend in his own mind as he retells his stories. Man's glory fades away. There is a glory that is unfading. Could you turn with me to the book of Revelation? Say there when you were there. Incidentally, what the road in Mexico did for me was remind me that this timeline only has a certain number of days in it. Now, I live like that a lot. And I pray you live like that. But have you ever just had some days go by where, I don't know, you were thinking about all of the trouble that you just went through or the trouble that you're going to have to go through? You ever had days go by where you realize you were... How about this one? How many of your parents? Raise your hand if you have children. Okay, here's a, here's a familiar phrase. Daddy, 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 daddy. Guess what? Huh? I was listening. You were there, but you weren't really there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever driven to work and you got to work and you went, I don't remember getting to work. Now, it's an ancient thing, but does anybody in here still drive a standard uh, transmission? Yeah, amen, me too. You ever got somewhere and you don't remember shifting any gears? Sometimes time has a way of just taking on whether you're with it or not. And when you're not present in that moment, you didn't lose the time. It just went on without you. Everybody could be present in this moment. We have eternal things to talk about, serious things to talk about, because no matter what, you can't get those moments back. We've heard, redeem the time, redeem the time, redeem the time. This is, time is redemption. That's what it is. If we plan on wasting it, there is no redemption for it. This is the time of salvation. While you're in the book of Revelation, are you there? Just turn to the first chapter. Then you can say, I'm there, Pastor. I'm going to bore you with a list here for a minute. A list I have inscribed in my Bible because I was fascinated with it. Seven churches. Seven seals. Seven trumpets. Seven bowls. Seven lampstands. Seven spirits. Seven stars. Seven blazing lamps. Seven title pairs, seven promises to the overcomer, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven hills, seven kings, seven blessings. Seven goes on and on and on in the book of Revelation. 
How did God teach us to count? He taught us to count by sevens. The first increments of time that He gives you are there are six days in which a man is to work and on the seventh it is holy. Everything else is counting seven Sabbaths from there. We're in the year 5,775. Let that sink in for a minute. I'm not even going to tell you what I think that means. I'm just going to leave it hanging there for you to wonder for a minute. But while you're wondering about this pattern of seven, and you're remembering that Joshua walked around Jericho eight times? Six times? How many times? And what happened on the seventh time? They walked around for seven days, and on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And then the walls fell down and every man went straight in. The number of times seven shows up in the Bible is so many that we wouldn't have time to talk to you about the pattern of seven. Let me just tell you what was floating around in the first century. In the first century, what the rabbis were talking about around the time of Christ, men like Hillel, men like Shammah, Men that were forming the cultural foundation that Jesus came and took advantage of to proclaim the gospel. They were teaching something that said, there are days of tohu, days of chaos. They called them yumei tohu. From the fall of man, when you can count genealogies, you can count years. From Adam's fall to Abraham's time where God is speaking to him was about 2,000 years. They called that Yemei Tohu. They said the world is in chaos during the time that there was no law, no instruction from God. But when God spoke to Abraham, it changed things and we entered into Yemot Torah, days of the law. Incidentally, from the fall to Abraham was about 2,000 years. And they said the days of the Torah would be about 2,000 years. If you're counting, that would be 4,000 years. Incidentally, on the timeline, on my left and your right, if you count out about 4,000 years from Adam, you end up at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the rabbis of Jesus' day said that there would be Yemei Tohu, the time of chaos, that would be 2,000 years. There would be Yemot Torah, the time of God's instruction, the law, that would be about 2,000 years. And then there would be a 2,000-year period called Yemei Mashiach. This would be the time period in which Messiah would come. If you count those, 2,000 years with Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham until the days of Messiah, 4,000 years. Of course, Messiah came. To the Jewish nation that does not yet accept Messiah, the children grow up and say, if we're in the days of Messiah, why has Messiah not come? The answer from an Orthodox parent to a child is because Israel has not yet repented. How many of you long for Israel to repent? Jesus' first appearance was about 4,000 years after the history of man. And many people believe, and I'm one of them, that there will be a second appearance. And what the ancient rabbis and the modern theologians tend to agree on is somewhere around 6,000 years after man's existence on the earth, Our work will be done. And there will be a thousand year reign of peace on this planet. The way that the Jews referred to that was the Aharit HaYamim. The last days. The end of days. They say after the 2000 year period where we're waiting for Messiah. There would come Yom Yahweh. The day of our God. And it would usher in a thousand years where the people of God no longer have to work. 
We simply love the Lord. Israel would be the priest among nations and those grafted into Israel would be priest with her. And the leaves of the trees would be for the healing of the world. Isaiah spoke about this time and said, Lamb would lie down with lion. Children would pray at the hole of the cobra. The face of the planet would be changed. But lest you get lost in eschatology, they were counting the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the weeks of years, and always counting by seven because they knew, and you need to know, the days of redemption are limited. You don't get an unlimited number of them. Are you in Revelation? Check out this phrase in Revelation. Start in verse 4. John, to the... Were there really only seven churches? You know the church of Corinth is not mentioned, but it existed. Do you find that odd? The church at Macedonia, not mentioned, but he picked seven. And every time he spoke to him, and he spoke seven times with this phrase, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the... So he addressed one church, but the address was really for all the churches, maybe for all time. He picked these seven for a reason. To the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is. Say who is. is. And who was. Say who was. And who, who is to come. What could he be saying? And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. From him who is, from him who was, and him who is to come. God had introduced himself to a man named Moses at a burning bush. What an interesting thing. A tree that was on fire and yet not consumed. And in the third chapter of the book of Exodus, in the 14th verse, there is this exchange. Moses wants to know, What am I going to tell them sent me? And of course, God's famous response is tell them, I am sent you. What if they ask your name? I am that I am. Theologians will always discuss what this means. But if you ask the Hebrew theologians, they'll say things like this. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I will be what I am. He who causes to exist He who is existence. Maybe the word simply means, I was here before you. I'm here with you. And I will be here in the future. I am Lord of history. I am Lord of the time before the trees, the time after the trees. And in the name of Jesus, the Lord of this timeline, right now. An amazing thing happens when you begin to sanctify time. When every moment begins with Him. The moments begin to stack up into hours and the hours and days and the days into weeks. And before you know it, He has been Lord of your life. Not just for moments at an altar, but for days of your life, weeks of your life, months of your life, years of your life. Our presidents have terms. I'm surprised there was not an amen in the house. We put term limits because this country has a distaste for monarchs. We wanted but one king. The king eternal, immortal, invisible, who alone is holy and righteous and just and true. He's my king and he has no term limit. He's king before the timeline. He's king after the timeline. And he's king of every moment in the timeline. Are you a part-time Christian? Or are you a full-time lover of the king? There's a certain sense of urgency in my life. It at times makes me appear gruff. No truth to that appearance, of course. 
I am. I'm a gruff individual. I'm not just calloused on my hands. I get busy talking about Jesus and walk right into a tree on an island. I wish I could say that the cartel did that. It was a tree that leapt out and assaulted my forehead. When you realize you only have a certain number of days, a certain number of weeks, a certain number of months, a certain number of years, and you don't know how many that number are, every one of them begins to get precious. I'm a pastor. I spent a lot of time in hospitals. I have never heard a man sorrowful, filled with regret that he did too much for God while he was living. Never heard a man full of sorrow and regret that he held his family too close. While he was living. I have however. Heard many men. Moan. Lament. Because they wasted their life. On a selfish existence. And their legacy is broken lives. Addictions. Dependencies. And pain. You know. You may think that one day. Everything will change. But as long as you think one day everything will change, what you're doing is insulating yourself from it changing today, right now. The Lord who was, who is, and who is to come is the same great I am that appeared to Moses. He's presenting himself as Lord over Yemei Tohu. Yemot Torah, Yemei Mashiach, even over Yom Yahweh, I am the Lord of the timeline that you are counting. Do you know how many feasts there are? Seven. Do you know how many months those seven feasts take place in? Seven. Do you know what happens? On the last feast, they sacrifice 70 bulls, one for each nation on the planet, because there's a day when the planet will be holy to the Lord. But it starts with lives becoming holy to the Lord. I despise New Year's resolutions. There was a time period where I ran 14 physical therapy clinics. And I got a fantastic idea that during our off times, our non-peak hours, we could utilize all of that equipment as a health club. It'd be passive income. We wouldn't have to do anything. The equipment's already there. And I went to Halliburton and Schlumberger. And I got the men at Halliburton to agree to put it in their human resource package. So somebody could sign up at the beginning of the year through a selection. Like federal income tax. It just comes out and you kind of forget how much you're paying. I actually think the government is giving you money back at the end of the year. It was your money to start with. Unless, of course, I'm going to leave that alone. I love Robin Hood economics, huh? We'll steal from those of you who produce and give to those of us who don't. We were talking about something. Fitness. The way that this worked is for every thousand people we signed up, do you know how many were in the gym three months later? Anybody just want to take a random guess? Less than a hundred. We never had a 10% turnout. And you know why that was important? Our gym wouldn't hold more than 100 people. But I knew I could sign up a 1,000 and not a 100 would show up consistently. Church, New Year's resolutions don't work because when you make them, you don't plan to keep them. You want some proof of that? How'd you do with last year's resolution? Can you tell me what the resolution was 10 years ago? I'm not interested in New Year's promises and neither is the King. We're interested in every moment belonging to Him. He is the Lord of history. I'd like you to consider this verse. Look at Revelation 1 in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, you've been taught that the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the Omega is the last letter. And it's a way of saying beginning and end. But it is so much more than that. It's the way of saying, I am the one who instituted time. 
And I did it for your benefit. And now he's telling the man about the apocalypse, not just the seeing, but the understanding of the way time would end. People would not end. The world would not end. But the need to mark the days and seasons would end because all who would be made holy were holy. Is it a happy thing or a fearful thing to talk about the day in which the time of redemption ends? Well, that entirely depends on whether or not you're in the redemption or not, doesn't it? In this country, we have been taught that if you prayed a prayer at an altar, that's all that had to happen. It's something akin to the time period of the Reformation where if you ate a cracker, I always wonder what happens if the mouse eats a cracker. (laughs) If you ate a cracker, good to go. Eucharist was everything. Just consume Jesus and you're done. If you're Catholic in here today, I love you. I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of the silly traditions of men. Protestants became guilty of the same thing that they protested. We said if you prayed a prayer one time at an altar, it's as good as the Catholic boy eating the cracker. Done. Well, what happens if you ate a cracker and you lived an unchanged, unredeemed life and more of those minutes belong to you than belong to God? Well, every Protestant would say that's an insincere conversion. That's, that's at best a sacramental conversion. Well, let me ask you, Protestant, if you pray to prayer at an altar and then have lived like hell all the way to heaven, do you think it's any better? See, I don't. God save us from the things that have taught us to ignore this time of redemption. Every moment is precious. In Revelation 1.19, you see a connection to the Lord of history. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Do you realize that the Lord of history is the only one that can tell us what has taken place what is taking place now and what will take place in the future. And He's been announcing it since Genesis. And He's been teaching us to count by sevens. And there's a reason for it. He wants you to know you don't have an unlimited time. He wants you to know that every moment is precious. He wants you to sanctify, set apart as holy your time. There's no such thing as free time. The time came at the bloody cost of His Son. The time that you now have, that you breathe and enjoy life, came at the loss of His Son's life. For the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. He's the reason for the timeline. So that you could learn to count the days until He appeared and count the days since He appeared and learn one thing. Time is precious. And how you use it is important. I can be in a group of 40 Christians. And in one sense, we're so carefree. And I love it. Not a concern in the world. Is that juice? I don't know. Is it, What kind of juice is it? Let's talk about what kind of juice that is. And I love that everybody's so lighthearted and so free. And oh, Jesus, do we need to be lighthearted and free? But I'm thinking about those minutes that are ticking away and those that don't yet have juice. I'm thinking about those minutes that are ticking away while we're arguing about what to feed our children and their children haven't eaten. During this time of redemption, there's only so much daylight in which a man can work. And we need to seize that time. In Revelation 1, Look at the fifth verse. I'm bouncing around a little bit. If you start a church, you get to do that. It's your prerogative. I encourage you to all do it. (laughs) Woo! In Revelation 1, 5, B, if you will, starting with the phrase, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God. Get this, He loves us. He freed us. 
And He made us to be a kingdom. In the past, He loved us. In the present, He frees us. And in the future, He makes us to be a kingdom. He's the Lord of time. The Lord of history. Do you just stop with the fact that He loved us? Or do you move on to this present moment where He is freeing us? Do you persevere in that moment until you're a kingdom? Or do we just talk about the Lord of past history? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who was, who is, and is to come. He's supposed to save you, be saving you, and present you as saved in the end. It's not a moment in time. It's all the moments of time. Are you hearing me? Salvation is not just a moment. It's every moment that follows it. If I ask you how many of you have promised your life to the Lord, probably every hand goes up in a room like this. If I ask you how many moments have you given to the Lord, we don't count those in months and years. We tend to count them in a couple days of the week. And around this time of year, You get some that could count them in just a few days a year. All that every moment would belong to him. He bought them all. He bought them all. Could you put Matthew 11, 16? Scriptures like this one suddenly take on a whole new meaning. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. In other words, the people failed to understand the time. In this country, we're obsessed with blessings as if we don't have enough already. In this country, we're obsessed with success. It's the real God that we worship. You know what success is? It's knowing and understanding what God wants you to do with this moment. And then doing it. It's not enough to know it. To know it and do it. In fact, when you know what He wants you to do and you don't do that, James 4.17 calls that sin. It's what Jesus died for. He died to free us from the knowing of what we should do and not doing it. You can't get that time back. He already bought it. Don't waste it. What do you know right now the Lord has told you to do and you've left it undone? And then how long have you left it undone? Do you know what makes a church a success? Well, it depends on who's defining success. If you consider numbers of butts in seats, then all you got to do is go on Oprah Winfrey and preach something that's not a gospel at all. Then you're a raving success. But sometimes what is prized among men is despised by God. And sometimes what is despised by men is loved and cherished by our God. Guys like King David taught us that. Not the most handsome, not the tallest, not the oldest, not the most mature among the brothers, but the least among the brothers and God's choice. How many were there? Yeah, that's right. There were seven. Something about the seventh is so precious. Something is so important. You know why? Because it's complete. It's the end. It's over. And knowing that the end is coming changes how you live in the beginning, middle, and the end. It changes everything to have the end in sight. Anybody who ever ran track, anybody who ever ran at a distance, if you can see the finish line, you run with an entirely different purpose. Oh, but while it's a long ways off, your pace can float around. In fact, your pace is usually determined by those who are alongside you. If they run fast, you run fast. If they run slow, you run just fast enough to be ahead of them. But when you can see the finish line, there's a reckless abandonment of concern. There is an all-out mad dash that you don't care how much oxygen is there. You don't care whether or not your bloodstream is fat with white blood cells. You don't care what's happening. It's win at all costs. Where is that heart 
for Jesus, we have trouble seeing the finish line. Oh, that you could get the message that time is precious. In 1 Chronicles 12, in verse 32, out of all of Israel, there was only one tribe that, that this could be said of. During the time of David, when he was not yet king, but was going to become king, it had been prophesied he was king. He had been anointed to be king, but he was not yet king of the kingdom. Very analogous to where we are right now. Jesus glorified, but the whole kingdom not yet in his hands. The men of Issachar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Oh my goodness, I don't know anything else about the men of Issachar. But they understood the time and they knew what they should do. Oh my God, my prayer is that that could be for you. That you not only understand where you are on this time between the trees, but you know what you should be doing. Who has the right to assign that to you? I don't. The Pope does not. Any Protestant Pope we raise up after this Catholic one, he will not. The king of glory determined for you a work to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says it. Says that we weren't saved as a work. For it is by the grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When is the advance? Well, He's the Lord of history. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. Before He set the timeline in motion, He determined that there would be things for you to do. He cares what happens to your life. He watches and considers all mankind and what they do. When we worked in the secular world, we did not like the term micromanager. It meant that someone was breathing down your neck. Every moment had to be accounted for. God is often many things at one time. He is a micro and a macro manager. He cares about every moment. And yet he's big enough to give you the freedom to do whatever you want with him. But he does hold you accountable in the end. When you stand before him on that day, how sure are you that you can be proud of how you've spent the time he's given you? In John 12... Starting in verse 30, we have a text that we should not ignore this morning. If you are having trouble following me, I would not have picked me for this job. I didn't pick me for this job. I apologize in advance, during, but I won't apologize afterwards. I want to share with you one concept. These breaths that you're taking right now, this heart that is beating inside of you right now is entirely precious. And if you don't believe me, go to the ICU or the NICU. Go spend a day with the Clements when you don't know how many heartbeats your child's going to get. Every one of them is loved by you. Well, I feel so bad for them. Why? They're celebrating every heartbeat. That's how we're supposed to live. I shared with my friends in Mexico that some have said that we in this church have a death wish. I challenge every church and every Christian everywhere, why don't you? We're called to give our lives away. How many moments can you spend protecting your life while claiming that it belongs to Jesus? Oh, I know this is not what's preached at the crusade level. 
It's hard to have a successful crusade with a message like this. Of course, it depends on how you define success, doesn't it? Let me ask you, are you sure your spouse would give their life for the Lord? Are you sure that your children would not back away if a gun was pointed at them because they love Jesus? Now let me ask you one more question. On what do you base your confidence? Is it because you've faced that many times? Or is it because you've watched John Wayne and Chuck Norris? Is it macho bravado? Or in every moment that has gone by, have you practiced putting His will above yours? Because those moments add up into days. Those days add up into weeks. Those weeks add up into months. Those months into years. And those years are what defines you. We promise a better future. And we do it all of the time. But if you look in the rearview mirror of your life, have you made good on your promise? In John 12, starting in verse 30, if you would read with me. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. (laughs) As a pastor, I often get to preach. That's just something that has followed me now for a few decades. And it is such a dubious thing to be standing preaching about things that you've not nearly mastered. You don't just preach when you have good days. You preach when you are a rotten low-down, branch-eating worm. Because he's the one that we're preaching, not ourselves. But can you imagine Jesus here? This is either the most audacious thing a human being ever said and he should have been struck by lightning or it was true. This voice was not for my benefit. This voice was for your benefit, not mine. (laughs) Can you imagine that God speaks and you stand up and say, I didn't need to hear that at all, but you people did. (laughs) I don't want to tell you who that reminds me of. I just tell you that, um, just want to tell you that Jesus is the only one in history that could say that. He was doing the Father's business no matter what He was doing because the Father's business was all He did. Check this out. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Verse 35. Then Jesus said, told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so you may become sons of the light. There's such a message here throughout the book of John, a successful hermeneutic, a, a science of interpretation is everywhere you see the word light, it represents life. Everywhere you see the word darkness, it represents death or the power of death. So in John 9, he says, there are only so many hours of daylight in which a man can work, and then night cometh in which no man can work. In other words, you only have so much time in your life before you reach the end of your life, and you have work to be done. He says the same thing in John 12. Now is the time for judgment. I'm going to start with the prince of this world, and I'm going to drive him out. While you have light work and become a son of in hebrew a son of is a ben you become like me first john 3 8 says the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the devil's work the way jesus spent his time was kicking down the gates of hell and establishing his father's kingdom how do you spend your time it's a whole lot easier to say he's lord than live like he's lord And I love mission trips, but you know what I don't like about them? They end. And I don't think missions should ever end. I'm not interested in doing a few events a year for the Lord. I'm interested in every moment of every day being for the Lord. Look at Romans 13. 
Say there, when you're there, we are nearing an end because you're going to account for how you spend your time just like me. Romans 13, 11, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. These two examples are completely juxtaposed to each other. While Jesus is walking in His ministry, He said, it's day, because I'm here. Night is going to overtake you when no one can work. But in the book of Romans, the analogy is turned on its end and said, Jesus is there, not here. This is the hour of darkness. But you are sons of light. You carry it with you. You have the armor of light. It's almost as if He's lamenting and celebrating the night's almost over. Day will be here. Every time we revolve from light to dark or dark to light, more time has passed. If you say salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's a good thing if you're longing for His appearing. It's a bad thing if half the world has not heard that He came the first time. It's a bad thing if you've not been obedient even 10% of the time he's told you to speak about him. Why is it a bad thing? Because you should be scared of him? No, it's a bad thing because people are dying while we're proclaiming ourselves saved. And we only have the time that he's given us to do his work. I know it's the last message of the year. I should give you a powder puff, candied apple message. The thing is, is I care how you spend your next year. I care how I spend my next year. I've wasted so much time. I have just three more scriptures for you. Can you endure three scriptures? Do you know how long I can preach three scriptures? I was telling the guys on the way to Mexico because we only listened to Don Potter in my truck. <coughs> that had Leonidas of the 300 been born again, he would have been listening to Don Potter. And that when Jesus Christ returns, Don Potter will be leading worship. But in all of my joking, you remember those 300. You remember Gideon's 300. You remember David knocking down a, because they spent their time well. Could you put Hebrews 10:12 on the screen? See, I'm not even going to make you turn to the final three. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Every time period between the first rising and setting of the sun, it actually, we start in darkness and move to light. So from darkness to light, and that happened seven times and it was a week. And then it happened seven more times and we had weeks of weeks. And this went on and on and on. One sacrifice for that sin. You know, this time of year, people talk about Jesus' birth. They talk about all kind of things. And I guess since we don't know when he was born, you could pick any time you wanted. But we're certain he wasn't born in December, just to be honest. Something else hits me about time. He's not coming to die again. He did this once. Think of that. It happened once. It's not going to happen again for you. There's not a second form of salvation. There is no Catholic purgatory and there is no Protestant escape.
once. And in that one act, he used his time so well that it bought us all of this time. Are you hearing me? He used his so well, he gave you what you have right now. Could you turn to Romans 5, 6 or put it on the screen? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't just do it once for all and purchase all of the time you have. He did it for you at the right moment in your life. He did it when you realized that you had no power. He did it when He realized you were guilty. Some of you have experienced that. Others only believe you have. Let me ask you, what is the simplest way to take that verse apart? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died. If you have received His redemption, then you should no longer be powerless. Are you hearing me? If a man is a slave to sin, then sin is his master, not the Lord. But if the Lord is his master, he's no longer powerless. So let me ask you, has your time come or not? Wash away the idea that because you got dunked when you were a kid or your mommy or your daddy told you when you were eight you were born again. Let me ask you now, does your spirit bear witness with his? Does his speak to you inside of you and say, you are mine? Or do you have to cling to something someone else has told you? Because they won't stand there with you on that day. At just the right time. He's always on time. When he says it, it is the right time. I beg that you don't miss your time. Could you put 2 Corinthians 6 in verse 2 on the screen? If you're just now waking up, I pray you really wake up. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now was the time of God's favor. Now was the day of salvation. We put no stumbling blocks in anyone's path. So that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, servants of God, we've commended ourselves in every way. I tell you now, this is the right time. It's the right time for three things. It's the right time for you to live every moment like it was precious. It's the right time for you to be equipped in every way that a Christian can be equipped. It's the right time to obey the presence and power of our God. This is the time of His favor. You are not guaranteed that you get to walk out that door ignoring Him now and there will ever be another statement that says, just see at the right time, at just the right time, Because He is Lord over time. And He chooses now. If you need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and you are waiting for some reason, how much time do you have to waste? If you need to be born again, how much more time can you waste? Knowing what you now know, if you need to be healed, how much more time do you want to go by before you have thrown yourself 
into the lap of the merciful God. We're going to begin to sing. It's the last service of the year. I'm not going to suggest to a single person what you need to do. My whole ministry life, I've called people out and seen them get free. My whole ministry life, I've called people out and seen them get filled with the Holy Ghost. I've done all the calling I'm going to do. If you are not man or woman enough to walk to the front and ask for what you need, then I'm going to let you waste your time. I've given you all I have to give. The king of time is watching. Let's stand to our feet.